Hi, and welcome to this week's LGBT Wellness Podcast. Each week, LGBT HealthLink, a program of Centerlink, brings you a roundup of some of the biggest LGBTQ wellness stories from the past week. Get ready to listen and learn lots. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. As always, if any of the stories that we're about to discuss are of interest, you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org and find links to all of today's stories. Anyway, on to the first piece of the week, puberty blockers could save lives. Researchers led by Jack Turbin found that among 20,000 transgender adults, 16.9% wished that they had access to puberty blockers which is um, hormone therapy that delays puberty during adolescence, basically allowing trans youth to not go through um, changes during puberty that are contrary to their gender identity. However, only 2.5% of people actually had access to this treatment. So about 17% wanted it and only 2.5% were able to get it, which is a huge gap in services. And that's interesting um, in and of itself. But the focus of the study was really looking at the potential impact of this care. And they found that people who were able to access puberty blockers um, had much lower odds of ever having considered suicide. Um, So, you know, a huge mental health benefit here um, that's at least linked to access to uh, puberty blockers, which suggests that people who are able to access that gender affirming care in their youth um, and kind of be, you know, more affirmed in their identity from a younger age and have um, less need for care and, and changes later on um, are, are going to have a huge mental health benefit from that, which isn't surprising, but it's great to see that reaffirmed um, in a big study, especially at a time when um, a lot of states uh, and others are considering policies around access to trans-affirming care. Next up, HIV agency says health is not a privilege. UN AIDS announced at the World Economic Forum in Davos that world leaders should be doing more to ensure health care to vulnerable populations, including LGBT people, women, and immigrants. They say that nations need to invest more spending in health care, which should be a right and not a privilege of the rich, if health problems such as HIV are to be overcome. It's interesting because a lot of countries do have a right to health, and that's established also under, you know, international um, guidelines and norms, but not often a concept uh, that's applied in a lot of contexts, including that in the U.S. Our next story looks at who identifies as queer. NBC News reported on new research that found that while queer is the primary identity of only 6% of LGBTQ people, it was very popular among young adults. So this study just looked at people age 18 plus, and they found that the 18 to 25 age range had um, more than three quarters of all of the people who identified as queer, you know, fell within that range. So um, only 25% of queer identified people are over 25, in other words, uh, which, you know, is is a big indicator that this is a, a growing population um, as, as more um, youth, you know, are coming out and, and choosing an identity. They also found that 83% of queer individuals were identified um, as female at birth, which means only about 17% were identified as male at birth. So that's another interesting stat that queer folks um, are overwhelmingly folks who either currently identify as women or at least were identified um, as female at birth who, you know, could be non-binary now or, or trans men included in that group as well. 
Um, and finally, they found that queer-identified people had much more open um, sexual attractions than did gay or lesbian-identified individuals. So, you know, they were more likely to be identified, um, to be sexually attracted to uh, more than one gender, um, also more likely to report that they were attracted to or interested romantically in transgender folks. Um, so some really interesting findings uh, and, you know, something that hasn't been explored that much, really kind of unpacking these identities and who holds them and what do they mean. Next up, a study led by Walter Bakhting tested a new measure of internalized transphobia. And they used four dimensions to explore this theme um, with trans individuals who participated in the study. So the first was pride in their identity as a trans person. The second was their interest in quote-unquote passing as a cisgender person. Third was alienation from other people in the trans community. And the fourth was shame um, at being transgender. So basically the first of those measures was something, you know, uh, that countered transphobia, um, or at least in theory would counter transphobia, which is, you know, your pride and in, in your identity as being a trans person. And then the other three were things that, you know, could contribute um, to someone feeling, um, you know, having that internalized transphobia. They did find the measure to be a reliable instrument, which is great news for those working in the public health field because it means that this could be used in further research to see how, um, you know, someone who has a higher level of internalized transphobia might have differing um, health uh, impacts um, as a result of that. Next up, online training for UK doctors. Digital Health reported on a first-of-its-kind online resource for UK general practitioners. It aims to train them on how to provide quality care for LGBT patients, which the article notes is something that's desperately needed for a population that routinely reports not having positive healthcare experiences. The program was created by a leading professional association in partnership with the UK government, and it had six um, modules at launch on topics like uh, creating inclusive environments, improving mental health, and properly screening trans and non-binary individuals, um, which is another topic that comes up a lot, you know, where providers don't know um, what trans and non-binary folks need to be screened for, or they don't know how to do that in a culturally competent and appropriate and affirming way. And finally for this week, share your HIV story. The CDC called for applicants to share their stories um, with experiences in either HIV prevention or treatment. This is part of their Let's Stop HIV Together campaign. The goal of the campaign is to prevent um, additional HIV infections by encouraging people to use services like PrEP for HIV prevention or, you know, get tested, um, stay on treatment if they are living with HIV. And so right now they're looking for real people to help share their stories as a way of encouraging others. Selected applicants are going to be contacted in the coming months as the campaign develops. So if you're interested in that, um, you know, you can uh, go to our, our blog, as I always point out, which is at blog.lgbthealthlink.org. We have the link there. Or if you just uh, Google the Let's Stop HIV Together campaign, you should be able to find more information on that there as well. Well, that just about wraps up another edition of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. 
Kind of interesting, we had a few stories this week that look at um, things that could be used to help researchers, um, you know, identifying um, queer individuals, you know, how that affects attraction, how that could be um, useful or important in measuring and in studies and research looking at sexual health and other factors. Um, Then the the story on transphobia and how that measure could be used to help researchers do more um, in terms of looking at trans health. Um, So some interesting stories. I hope you enjoyed them as well. I've already plugged our blog um, at blog.lgbthealthlink.org if you'd like to follow up on any of the stories we've talked about. And otherwise, I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast if you're not already and tune in next week for another edition of The Roundup. 